One of the things I've really enjoyed doing probably for the last decade in my Bible reading is to try to discern uh, the truth of a text only from within that particular book I'm reading. Especially in the Gospels, it's easy to try to create a, a harmony of the Gospels where you try to get them all to align with one another. But what I found is, is, is if, if I listen more carefully uh, just to, to the book that I'm in, I, I discover things that go deeper than, than just the overview. I, I begin to hear the witness of that particular apostle. And while the truths I discover there also probably apply to the other Gospels, they may not be as emphasized in those Gospels. For instance, today, uh, as we move into the sermon, we're going to look a little bit at our understanding in the Gospel of John for this thing he calls signs. Now, if John hadn't said it, we may very well have missed it, because typically what John calls signs, we call miracles. And, and John's calling it a sign is a reminder to it that the miracle has significance. And so we'll seek to see and discover what is that significance as we move forward into that. But first, we want to notice and hear from the prophet Habakkuk. And this is, Habakkuk is not completely unusual, though certainly unique, uh, with his message. Uh, listen uh, to verses 17 and 18 again from chapter 3 of Habakkuk. Although the fig trees shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Translation? Bad times. Like, seriously bad times. I mean, you can imagine uh, uh, farmers, uh, you know, looking out and realizing, look, we've got no yield this year. Nothing's coming. Uh, the fruit trees are bearing no fruit. There's no, uh, there's no milk from the, the cows or the goats. As a matter of fact, there are no cows or goats. This is a bad time. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever experienced a bad time. But it's instructive for us who are followers of Christ to hear these words of Scripture, to recognize that it is not unusual. We are not alone when we go through times of hardship. Many of God's people at many places throughout Scripture have gone through hardship. And so, I don't know about you, but often when I'm overwhelmed by what's going on in my life, I find myself asking, what do I do now? By the way, that's after I get over the need to say, why me? And what I've discovered in my journey is often when I ask why me, I don't come up with very good answers. Uh, and, and by the way, when I think I know the answer, I don't agree with the equation. 
Uh, even though I may have did something that may have deserved some sort of punishment, but this is too much. I don't deserve this. And I get myself in that negative place until I finally get to the place where I just say, help. But Habakkuk went to the next level. Habakkuk says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and will joy in the God of my salvation. Yet, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what I can see in front of me, what is coming that yields no hope, no encouragement, in spite of that, yet I will rejoice in my God. There's an instruction in this that's very difficult. By the way, it's an instruction that sometimes those who have been journeying in the faith longer than us may produce this kind of wisdom. And that is, in good times or in bad, I will find my joy in the Lord. I will trust in the faithfulness of God more than I trust in the faithfulness of my eyes or my ability to predict what is to come. I will trust in the faithfulness, in the promises of my God, and I will find courage and hope and strength for today trusting in my Lord. Here, more words from Habakkuk. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And if you've ever been in the Holy Land or in places like it, uh, you see some of the deer climbing up cliffs that seem completely unscalable. And there's videos on YouTube that often show uh, the, the mom just climbing up on these little teeny cracks, just climbing up the side of a mountain, and the baby's following. Often the, the YouTube videos that get posted uh, show the babies slipping a bit. <laughs> Sounds more like me than babies, but uh, slipping a bit, and yet, and yet still maintaining their ability to continue on. I love the image because it reminds me that sometimes the, the challenges before me that seem unscalable, I find hope in those that have gone before me who have managed it. And I find hope in seeing that even those who slip manage it. And I'm instructed that they've done so in the strength of the Lord who gives us security and ability and support and help as we journey forward. Those times when I feel most hopeless in life are the times when I feel alone. And you know, the hard part of that is that very often I have this incredibly bad habit of when I'm starting to feel bad or overwhelmed, I isolate myself, which makes me feel alone. That is, I often cause to worsen 
the very thing I need help with. I need support, I need encouragement, and instead I isolate myself from those who would provide it. And like often I hear in the Psalms, I do that long enough to come to the place where I just cry out to the Lord and say, what's going on? And sometimes he pushes me out of the room, and sometimes he brings people into the room so that I'm reminded that with Christ, I'm never alone. And in the body of Christ, I'm never alone. So there is encouragement and there is hope even when the circumstances have not yet changed. And maybe even in circumstances where I still can't really see a way out. And then there's this text in uh, Romans, which, I'll be honest, it's a two-edged sword. I mean, I really like it, and I rely on it a lot, but on the other hand, I really don't like it because I'd prefer God find another way. But it says this, And we know that in all things, God who works, works for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Even in those dark times, the scripture teaches in Romans and in other places, uh, the, the, the struggle produces endurance and hope and character. And I want to say, God, can't we maybe find that at Disneyland? I mean, can't we find that on a, on a, a beautiful sunset at, at the beach or... I mean, isn't there another way, Lord, that you could uh, bring the character building uh, apart from struggle? And the answer is yes and no. God brings character and hope and strength into our lives and 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 encourage us in faith in many, many ways. But it also includes the struggle. And so we try to hear the words of Paul in the midst of the struggle to say, God will use this to bring good in the future that I do not yet see. God is able in all things to bring good for us who love him and whom he loves and for whom he has a purpose. So, so as we think of those two ideas of, 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 of a time of struggle yet rejoicing, of a recognition that in struggle God is able to work, in that context then we, we move to these signs, these, these miracles in the Gospel of John. And, and this morning we simply look at the first one. The first sign, which is uh, turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. How do we understand this? Well, the first thing we want to understand is that there's, uh, there's a promise as we journey through with the people of Israel in the Old Testament, there's this promise of a time of fruitfulness. It's, it's almost the exact opposite of what we heard in Habakkuk. That instead of it being a time, well actually, while it is a time of scarcity, a time of fruitfulness, a time of abundance 
is coming. In, in, in vision, uh, the grapes so full that they're beginning to leak the juice. Now, those of you who are vintners, which I am not, may know that that may be a late time to pick them. I don't know. But, but the abundance mentality is what is often expressed, that, that the grapes and the wine are a, a time of celebration, a time of goodness, a time of abundance in provision, and that abundance is coming. On the other hand, there's another question here. It's, it's these jars in this story. It, it says, I think, that there are six. And it said, says that they hold maybe between 20 and 30 gallons, between 120 and 130 gallons in the six jars. And, and what are they used for? Ceremonial washing. Now, my mindset may be a little tweaked here, but it seems to me if I'm walking into an area and I see jars for ceremonial washing, it's sort of like coming into church and seeing that the confession is first on the list. And what does it remind you of? You need it. You, 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 before you go in here, you're not yet ready. You're not yet adequate. You're unclean. You're, you, you need to cleanse yourself before you come in. Now, in good theology, we're reminded that God provides the cleansing. But it's the, it's the, uh, uh, the movement between, okay, you can come in now that you've washed yourself, now that you've been cleaned in the ceremonial washing, to that very same thing being turned into the celebration and the abundance of between 120 and 180 gallons of wine. Now, I, again, I'm not, I'm not a wine connoisseur either, but I've got to think that you can make a lot of cases of wine with 180 gallons. And so it is also important that we back up and see the context of, of weddings, because I don't know about you, but uh, my wife and I, uh, when we got married, um, we did have a rehearsal and a rehearsal dinner the night before the wedding. And then the next day we had the wedding, and after the wedding we had a reception. So let's say 24 hours of celebration, if you can call a, a, a rehearsal a celebration, which, by the way, at the dinner afterwards we did. So let's just say a, a wedding in, in our lives is, is, is 24 hours. It's a, it's a, a, a full day the night before, getting ready and celebrating in anticipation, the next morning getting ready and getting dolled up and cleaned up and all that stuff, and then having the celebration and then partying with your friends until you go home exhausted. Not so. Not so in, in biblical times. It was a week of celebration. There was a, there was a week of, of partying. And, 
And it was, generally speaking, the entire village that would be a part of this celebration of this, this creation of a new family, this expansion of a loved family. Uh, with the addition of the of the new room on the on the uh, groom's family home and and a new person being being brought into this this new family that that is the village and and it was an incredible party and it was also an incredibly shameful embarrassment if you didn't have enough. Now, I wish, uh, I wish that uh, Anna Marie were in the room, but she'll be here next service. Uh, because one of the things that Anna Marie and I both know, as uh, her a current uh, worker with youth and me a former worker with youth, is you don't run out of food. Uh, every once in a while, I'll hear someone like Anna Marie or other youth workers that I've worked with in the past saying, uh, I guess I didn't estimate very well because there's a lot of leftovers. And my response is, is no, there always has to be leftovers because you don't run out of food in a wine, in a wedding, in Jesus' day. You don't run out of wine. It is a massive embarrassment. And so, what was happening? Well, I read something that I hadn't ever really picked up on before as I was preparing for this week. It seems as though when Jesus called Philip to follow him, in the last part of chapter 1 of John, Philip goes and finds Nathanael. And and. And Nathanael comes and Jesus proclaims Nathanael to be an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael says, my rabbi, the son of God. It almost looks like the first faith statement. There's this incredible reaction. And I bring up Nathaniel because one of the commentaries that I read, or two of the commentaries that I read, suggested that Cana in Galilee was Nathaniel's hometown. And so right after Jesus finishes calling the twelve, including Nathaniel, and they come and they're invited to this wedding in Cana, and Nathaniel is, of course, with Jesus, this opportunity for incredible shame and embarrassment comes upon one of the people in that village, obviously known by Nathaniel. And somehow, thanks be to God, although no surprise, Jesus' mother Mary picks up on it. By the way, ladies, that was an acknowledgement of the fact that sometimes you're a little bit more aware socially than uh, some of us. Uh, males, just want to acknowledge that, that in this story we see that, that Mary is tuned in and she sees there's a problem, probably long before most of the other people have seen that there's a problem. And there's this interesting thing where Jesus, you know, basically says, you know, it's not the right time. And then Mary has this incredibly great response do whatever he tells you to do. Like, he's going to do the right thing. He may not think it's the right time, but he's going to do the right thing. And then this 
miracle happens. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel, who has followed Jesus, sees almost immediately that Jesus cares about people. That Jesus is not one of those Pharisees or Sadducees that's going to point fingers and tell people what they've done wrong, which again could easily happen here. How could you possibly run out of wine this soon? What were you thinking? By the way, some of us parents have a tendency, uh, youth and children, to react the same way. I apologize when the first thing I notice is the problem. But, yeah, somehow that's a curse uh, that my kids had to live with. But instead, they learn that the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah is not only a day of judgment, but a day of redemption. And in that day of redemption is celebration. In, in, in that recognition that God has come in the form of the Messiah, the King, God's people can rejoice because God comes with a generosity beyond judgment. A generosity that will take care of the judgment. Not simply acting as if it doesn't matter, but paying that price so that God's people might rejoice. Our hope for Christ, our, our hope for, for the end is a hope that can sustain us and strengthen us even in the midst of these times when we may or may not be able to see what is coming. We hear in the promise of God, we see in the faithfulness of God that when the Messiah comes, he doesn't just come to destroy, he comes to bring celebration and abundance. Grace is made visible as a sign to the apostles Right after they're called, they see that Jesus is there to transform times of shame and embarrassment into times of hope and glory and promise in a God who provides. It's the hope I need today. It doesn't surprise me at all if it's the hope you need today if your life feels dry if these unexpected things keep getting thrown at you where do we turn we turn to the God of promise who has made visible in these signs that he's a God of generosity and a God of abundance who pours out his grace into our lives when we probably deserve shame and embarrassment, but instead are lifted up to continue the celebration of the goodness of God made to us and for us and through us. Thanks be to God. Amen.